All right. Well, good morning. It's good to see each one of you. Um, so we are in the middle of Esther 4, and uh, I am really excited about the message today. I actually consider—Ryan uh, said, hey, we're going to be in Esther. Which passage do you want to preach? I, I haven't asked you yet. And I said, chapter 4. And he said, I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, chapter 4, I think, is— uh, one of the most profound passages of Scripture, though I say that about every passage of Scripture I get to preach, because all of God's Word is incredible. Um, but um, I'm excited that you are here for this particular chapter because um, it is a pivotal point in the story of Esther. So we're right in the middle of the series. The series is called Esther. Living with Courage, Backed by Providence. And that idea of living with courage backed by God's provision, is prevalent throughout the whole story of Esther. Uh, In the story so far, uh, we've seen that uh, King Ahasuerus of the Persian Empire, he gets really upset with Queen Vashti. You can read about that in uh, in chapter 1 of Esther. Um, The current queen um, does a few things he doesn't like very much, and he gets upset with her, and she's out. Uh, and in chapter 2, we, uh, we see that he holds basically a beauty pageant for uh, a new queen. He starts to search for a new queen, and Esther is the one that is chosen to be the new queen. Uh, what the king doesn't know at the time is that she is of Jewish descent. She's of Jewish lineage. Um, so that's something that is not revealed to him. Uh, and then in chapter 3, the villain comes in. And uh, his name is Haman, and it unfolds that uh, Mordecai, Esther's adopted father, he won't bow to this official named Haman as he is going through the streets, and, uh, and he concocts an elaborate plan to exterminate the Jews and deal with the Jews. So uh, we're about to see that the Jewish people in chapter 4, uh, Mordecai and Esther, they all experience crippling fear at the beginning of chapter 4, at the hands of Haman. But before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you, and we thank you so much for this story of Esther. Even though God is not mentioned even once, we see you working all through the story. And there are times in our lives where it's hard to see you, but you are there, and you are working I pray this morning, Lord, that we would see Esther's story and realize how amazing you are and your ability to work in the lives of people in dark times when we're in the middle of fear. Bless us as we move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Haman, last week we ended with Haman. He's figured out a way to pass a law requiring that the entirety of the Jewish people in all of the 127 provinces of Persia uh, be exterminated. They'll they'll all be murdered on a certain day. They spell out the exact day that this is going to occur. And this edict goes throughout the land, starting with Susa, and it goes out through all of the 127 provinces of Persia. And it ends with great confusion in the city of Susa. So if you look back a verse in your Bible, if you have it, uh, verse 3, chapter 3, you're going to see that there is great confusion. And uh, meanwhile, 
we see that the key people in the palace are sitting down for a drink. So you've got, uh, you've got Haman, you've got the king, and other people in the palace, they're sitting down to have a drink. And meanwhile, there's great confusion in the city of Susa at this edict that's gone out. Um, I think it shows that they're really out of touch with what's going on with, with the people um, in, uh, in Susa and, uh, and beyond. And so that's where we find ourselves, the end of chapter 3. Um, with that said, let's go ahead and read about what unfolds following those events in Esther 4. So if you have a Bible, you have your phone, you can pull it up. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 4 of Esther together. It says this, When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, which is just another word for like rags, uh, morning rags, and ashes, He went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. So as you can see, uh, Mordecai himself is fearful. His reaction to this entire thing is to go and to mourn. Uh, Part of this could be to get some attention uh, to the the matter, but he is mourning and he, um, he's in great distress. Uh, he tears his clothes. And that's saying something in a day and age when a lot of people had one, maybe two changes of clothes, right? We, we're like, oh, whatever. He'll just get another pair of clothes. No, like that's his pair of clothes. And he puts on sackcloth, which was uh, were mourning garments. Um, and uh, if you saw this, I don't think I have to put you in the, in the mind of, a, of an Old Testament Jew, to get you to understand that this, this is kind of a weird thing that's happening, right? If you saw this on the street in the middle of like Nampa or Meridian or Boise, you would, you would go, what is going on? This guy, he's, he's, he's crying and he's wailing loudly and he's like, he, his clothes are torn and he's putting on these, these weird clothes and, and he's, he's putting ashes and dirt on his head and he's, he's weeping and wailing and, and it's it just bitterly, there's something wrong. And on top of this, um, uh, he's, he's going through the city, right? He's walking through the city, and he gets up to the king's gate, and he can't go any further because the law prohibits him from going further if you're in mourning garments, if you're in sackcloth. Uh, you're not allowed to go past the king's gate. So uh, Mordecai, who is the mentor and the uh, surrogate father, um, the adopted father to Esther, he's in distress, and he's in fear, and he's in mourning. So that's where we find him. And uh, here, go, let's go ahead and look at verse 3. What's next? We have uh, fearful people. Um, so there is great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict, edict came. They fasted, they wept, uh, they lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So they're following uh, Mordecai's example, right? And they are mourning, and they are in distress, um, I mean, it's understandable, right? They're going to die. They've been told, you're going to be executed. Um, And I was thinking about this. Well, why can't they just move? Well, it's the Persian Empire. It, like, spans across the known world, okay? So there's not—you can't really get away from this edict. Um, And so notice um, they're following the example of Mordecai right here. And that's an important point. They're following the example of Mordecai, and we're going to follow up on that a little bit later. Um, And then, uh, remember earlier when I mentioned that the the palace and the king seem to be disconnected from what's happening? I mean, they're they're sitting back, they're having a drink, people are mourning in the streets, 
There's a guy wailing at your gate. And you're sitting back and you're, you're having a drink. Um, they don't even know what's going on in their own city. And I think Esther is a part of this. Because uh, as you see, um, while these were her own people, um, she, uh, she doesn't know what's going on either. And we'll see that in just a second. But a lot of scholars um, believe that it didn't matter that Esther was the queen. Uh, if her lineage was discovered, she would be executed right alongside everybody else. Uh, and we see that, that being the queen doesn't necessarily have perks, right? Because Vashti was deposed earlier in the story. So if something's going on, if there's a law passed, um, if she very well could, uh, if her lineage is discovered, she could be put to death. Um, but as we see in verse 4, she's completely unaware of what's going on. She doesn't know that fact. She doesn't know that, um, hey, this law was passed, my people could die. So let's look at verse 4 together. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. So uh, this word, overcome with fear, this word, if you look it up in the original language, um, you realize that her fear wasn't just like, man, I'm afraid. It was debilitating fear. She was crippled. Uh, it was like a fear, uh, when you look up the definition uh, of this, this, he, this word in Hebrew, it was like she labored with fear and she was writhing and like agonizing in fear. And guess what? She still doesn't know what's act, what actually is wrong. All she knows is that Mordecai is at the gate. Uh, and I'm bringing this up because I think it indicates to us a little bit about the type of person and the, the personality and uh, who, who Esther is. She is, she is a fearful person, right? She's, the fear is soaking through her, and she can't do anything. And so what does she do? She sends clothes to Mordecai, to, uh, and, and a lot of people think this is so that he can change and enter the palace and come talk to her and tell her what's wrong. He refuses those clothes um, and, uh, and doesn't approach her. So, so we have Mordecai's response. It's fear. We have the people's response to the situation is fear. And we have Esther's default response, even though she doesn't even know exactly what's going on, which is fear. Everybody is in fear in this situation. So let's see what, let's see what happens next. Verse 5 says this, Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who attended her and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. So, uh, Mordecai had refused the change of clothes, but Esther still needed to figure out what was going on. So um, I think this still shows that she and everyone around her are out of touch with everyday people because the entire city's in confusion. It's just clearly she's not stepped outside of the, the palace and interacted with people. She is inside the palace. She's cordoned off and is not interacting with everyday people. Um, so Mordecai relays to Esther through her servant all that had happened so far. He gives her a copy of uh, the edict ordering the execution of the Jews so that she could read it. Now, let me ask you a question. 
if you were in a privileged position, um, like Esther, would you be thinking, yeah, of course I could, I could use my position to, to save my people? Um, that's exactly what Mordecai is asking of her in this situation, right? He's asking her to use her position to save her people. Um, but, and there's a couple interesting things to think through here. Um, I don't think that they're immediately obvious as you're kind of looking at the text. So Mordecai had a written copy of the edict, right? So he had a written copy. And in that day and age, a written copy of anything was a pretty unusual thing, much less for a commoner. And so a lot of people think that Mordecai, even now, wasn't necessarily your normal everyday Jew, but he probably had some sort of important role in the palace, um, in the king's court. Uh, He may have um, uh, interacted with the law on a regular basis, uh, and a lot think he, he probably knows what the law is. Knowing that, secondly, it's important that Mordecai knew what Esther, um, uh, he, it's, it's actually likely that he knew that, uh, that what Esther was about to share with him, the law. And the law is this, uh, that it prescribes death for anyone who approaches the king unsummoned, unless the king chooses to make an exception. So Mordecai most likely knew that when he was handing this request to Esther's servant to take to her for her to read. Uh, And lastly, there's a great likelihood that the king, even if she did approach him, would not make an exception for Esther. And the reason for that is he's proven to cave to pressure from other people in the past, um, like Haman. Uh, He's grown distant and disinterested in the queen, which we're going to read about in just a second. And his power is limited because he won't step forward and attempt to override an edict that's clearly wrong. And we'll see that later in in the story of Esther. So that tells you a little bit about the character of the king. Uh, It's likely he he may not. And so you can can understand why she may have said, no, hey, here's the law. I could die, is her response, right? She, She recites the law to him knowing that it's, very likely he already knows the law. So her response is tantamount to, I don't want to die. But I, might, I, I very well could die unless he makes an exception. I think Mordecai understood the gravity of what he was asking of, of Esther. Uh, he was asking her to possibly give her life. Um, so, how'd she respond? Let's, let's take a look. Um, Verse 10, Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty, unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Uh, It's kind of an interesting commentary, that last verse. I think, again, she's just saying that he's not that interested in me, and I may not be in his favor right now. So it's a really bad time to ask this of me. Um, And so she says this to Mordecai. um, Even though he probably already knows that this is the situation, and she knows that he knows, and I think Esther is gripped by fear. And, uh, you know, we could be really hard on Esther here, but she has a response to the situation in the face of very great fear that I think is similar to how many of us would respond in the face of great fear. 
It's by looking at my immediate situation right in front of me. How is this affecting me? Thinking about myself and trying to figure out a way that I can escape this feeling of not being in control of my situation. And in this, in this moment, Esther's view of God was limited and it was blinded by this crippling fear that she has. She was fearful to begin with. Now she's even more fearful because she's being asked to risk her life for the sake of others. So let me ask you something. Are you fearful? Do you have fear? Do you still believe that God is on your side? So if you're sitting here today, I can confidently state that you are in one of two positions. You're either a follower of Jesus or uh, you're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't taken that step of faith. To those who haven't taken that step to trust in Christ, um, here's what Scripture has to say. God loves you. God is good. And in his goodness, he looked at our sinfulness and our brokenness, and he sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die. And in his power and in his might, God raised Jesus from the grave. And if you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ— You will have life, and you will have hope, and you will have peace, and your old life will end, and your new life will begin. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's something to trust in, Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen, because God was able to raise Jesus from the grave, and if he was able to raise Jesus from the grave, he's able to accomplish all other things, and to watch after us, and to be good to us. So I want to invite you to take a step this morning to trust in Jesus because there's peace. Um, You don't have to be fearful. To those that have trusted in Christ, um, you've handed your life, you've handed your your entire life and your future, and you've placed it in the hands of Jesus. Here's what Scripture has to say. God loves you. He still loves you. God is still good. And... uh, Here's something else that I want to say. Did you know that God was at work long before you were born to orchestrate the events that would bring you to faith in Christ when he did? God is amazing in being able to do that, to bring all the pieces together, to um, bring the people into your life, to bring you to faith in Christ when he did. He reached into your life when you were alone, you were fearful, you were without hope, and in Christ he gave you confidence, hope, and the people around you. So you can look around you, person on your left, person on your right, behind you, in front of you. He gave you a church family that walks alongside you through life. Whether it's good or it's bad, we stick together because that's part of being a Christian. You're now part of a family that walks with you through life. Um, God has brought you to this position that you're in today. So to both groups, whether you've trusted Christ and you're walking with him or you haven't yet made that step of faith, I want to ask these questions. God has brought you to where you are right now. So are you anxious and fearful right now? Here's a truth for you. This is what scripture says. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. My question is, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that God works together for the good, all things together for the good of those who love him. Here's something else that God says. He who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. That's an amazing statement for people who begin to doubt God's goodness and doubt that he's working in my life. Is he working in my life? It says he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
God did not just save you and that was the end of things. He's continuing to work in your life. It was the beginning of things for you when he saved you. You're redeemed from fear and you're redeemed from sin and you're redeemed from death into a life of serving God and making a difference with the truth. That's why, that is why God redeemed us. He didn't just save us from something, but he saved us for something. So God saved us from sin and death to be an amazing part of his good purposes. And in addition to that, I want to hit it again. He gave us a church family that walks through, with us through everything. We are supposed to be doing this together because we get discouraged and we forget those truths. I want to pause for just a minute on a passage of scripture that I think sums up why we can look in the face of fear. Before we get back to the story of Esther, I want to look at this. This is Romans 8, chapter 8. We're going to be in verse 28. And here's what it says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. (laughs) It's a great passage of scripture. Um, so I think many times we look at that passage of scripture and, uh, we really over-personalize it. Um, what I mean by that is that we're missing this fact. Romans was written to a church, a group of Jesus followers that collectively, and Paul included himself in this. There were us's in there. Um, there was we, um, he said, Uh, In all these things, we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. And that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't believe that the way any portion of scripture is worded is an accident. And this is included. Uh, This portion of Paul's letter is no different. Um, He's emphasizing the community that we are to be a part of. That we're supposed to lean on each other. We're supposed to come to realize that we need each other as we live this Christian life together. And that brings us back to the story of Esther. We find in this passage of scripture um, the great turning point in Esther's heart and mind. And so um, that's in there twice for some reason, but I don't know why. But Jesus' followers combat fear. Um, Here's the big idea that we pull from Esther. Fear's greatest opponent is a courageous group of Jesus' followers. Um, So the Jews didn't have Jesus, obviously. Um, 
to follow and as their example and as their guide. And they didn't have the New Testament, that encouraging passage of Scripture that we just read. But we do see them indicate signs that God is stirring in the hearts of the people and in Mordecai's heart and in Esther's heart. And they combat fear. They do it together and they do it with God's help. Even though God's not mentioned. We're about to dive into an incredible passage of Scripture. So pay attention. Here it goes. Um, We're left with Esther clearly expressing fear for her life in correspondence to Mordecai. So remember, she's fearful for her life. The people are fearful. Mordecai is fearful. They're mourning. They're in distress. They don't know what to do. Here's where we find ourselves in verse 13 of chapter 4. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So what did, what did uh, Mordecai do? Did you catch what he just did? He reminded Esther of the truth that God had promised to be faithful to watch over his people, to guard and to protect them, and to deliver them from destruction at the hands of the people that would take them captive. This was prophesied long time ago, centuries back, that they were going to be taken into captive, taken to a foreign land, and, uh, but there God would promise to be faithful to them, and we would, he would keep them from being completely and utterly destroyed. And uh, Mordecai put his faith in that promise. He put his faith in the fact that what God said he was going to do, he was not only uh, able to do it, but he was going to do it. And he reminds Esther of this truth and tells her that um, it's very possible that she has a huge part to play in this story of God's plan of deliverance for the Jewish people. And remember, if there's any doubt in Mordecai's mind before about the law or anything, uh, there's no doubt now because Esther has made it very clear. Uh, she made that law clear, and he is now again, once again, saying, Yes, risk your life. But God has placed you in your royal position for such a time as this because he has a plan, and it's bigger than you were seeing just a moment ago. You know, it's bigger than your immediate fear. So let me ask you something. How do you respond to people approaching you with truth? When somebody hits you in the face with something that's like obviously true, but it like stings, you know, a little bit because you realize that, oh man, uh, that person is right and it challenges me big time. Um, How do you respond? Particularly when it's a brother or sister in Christ um, who really does care for you and is trying to get you to see the bigger picture. Do you you look for the wisdom and truth in what they have to say? Um, Do you see them as sent by God, maybe, to remind you of what's true? I think many uh, times we dismiss what others have to say as mere opinion um, when in fact God could be using them in our lives to grow us, to remind us that God is much bigger than just us and the circumstances that are right in front of us. God uses each one of us to do that. That's why he gave us the church. He uses brothers and sisters in Christ to help us combat fear and to remind us of what's true. So, Let's see how Esther responded to this situation. Moving into Jesus' followers combat fear with prayerful community, if you're taking notes. Uh, Esther says this, Go, 
and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink three, for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. Uh, profound change. Would you agree? That's a huge change in the life of Esther. She's gone from somebody who's fearful to someone who says, all right, uh, I, need you to, I need you to gather the Jews together. I'm going to move forward with this, but I'm going to need everybody's support, especially God's. So she instructs Mordecai to round up all of God's people uh, and, uh, and in Susa, and they, and they have a hard fast, okay? No eating or drinking, night or day. That's, that, that would be really hard. Have you ever tried that? That's difficult to do, eating or drinking, for three days and three nights. And uh, something else I want to point out, as you research fasting in the Old Testament, it is almost always, especially for the Jewish people, almost always accompanied by prayer and seeking God, uh, especially times when God's people need deliverance. So uh, in this particular situation, the author doesn't mention prayer, but a lot of, a lot of people think it's because there's a, there's a reason he wrote Esther in the way that he did. He wanted people to see that even though people may not be able to see God immediately at the forefront, that God continues to work with his hand of providence in the background. Um, and I think that's an important lesson for us. Even if we don't immediately see God at the forefront, he is still working in the, in the, in the background. So what's even more amazing about this situation, did you catch that uh, she didn't just say, hey, uh, go get, go round up all the Jews and fast. But she says, I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. So not all of them, uh, likely many of them were not Jews, but she's wrapping them into seeking God together. And they know, know about the situation and they're watching her response and how she handles this situation. Um, so Mordecai reminded her of the truth and pointed out that God had very likely placed her in this position for such a time as this, and she's now rising to the occasion with that reminder of truth. Um, it transformed her from somebody who was a coward, right? She was a coward. It transformed her from a coward to someone um, who is a leader, who's someone, someone who's leading her people and others to fast and seek God's help for what she's about to do. And we get to see her plan, uh, her Jesus followers combat fear with courageous, bold action. Here's what, uh, here's what Esther does. Uh, After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. So now you have Esther ready to give her life. She started in fear, not even knowing the situation, to more fear, knowing that she's being asked to give her life and everybody she knew is going to die uh, if, she, if she didn't even attempt to change the situation, um, to now ready to give her life. This is the power of truth in our lives. And when we're confronted with truth that God has placed us right where he wants us and that he's a big God— capable of working miracles in our lives and the lives of the people around us, he transforms our perspective and it leads to courageous, bold action for people who follow Jesus. God did it for Esther when she went from a woman looking to save her own skin to a courageous leader willing to risk her life that others might live. 
and why? Why? If you, if you dig in a little more and you think about why did that change her so much, it's because she believed Mordecai's words. It wasn't just enough to hear the words, but she believed Mordecai's words when he reminded her that God had a plan, that God was not only able to accomplish that plan, but he was going to accomplish that plan and that she was a part of that plan. She uh, was then inspired to, uh, she then inspired her own mentor. (laughs) Uh, Did you catch that? It's this great role reversal. It starts out with um, Esther completely fearful. It starts out with Mordecai reminding her of truth and they kind of flip spots. Did you notice that? How now she's leading and she's saying, I'm going to do this. I need you to go to the people. We need to seek God together. And he command, he, or she commands Mordecai to go out and lead the people. And then she leads her people around her. It's that great role reversal. God has done an amazing thing in the life of Esther there. Um, so she inspires her mentor and thousands of others to seek God's help and strength. So I'm going to ask you again, same question. Are you crippled by fear? I want to, I want to encourage you to tell a brother or sister in Christ and seek God's truth together. The truth that you are a child of God and the truth that he cares for you so much so that he'd give his own son to die for you. Are you crippled by fear? I want to tell you that you should talk to a brother or sister in Christ and you should pray together, seek God together. And once you sought God's truth together, I want to encourage you to move forward together in courageous, bold action in the name of Jesus. We're called to be bold and courageous with God's help. God used uh, many people in the story of Esther up to this point um, to bring her to the point she is to completely change her outlook. And it changed the course of Jewish history. There's a whole, there's an entire holiday now because of what happened in this situation. Uh, How much more would us leaning on one another to reach a city with the message of the gospel, how would that change the course of history for the city of Nampa and for the surrounding areas? If we lean on each other and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Spirit living in us. The power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in each one of us. It's raised us from the grave too. And as we work together, sharing the gospel of Jesus, we can be bold and share our faith with others and do it together side by side. Uh, Do you believe that God has a plan for you in sharing your faith and living for him? Do you believe that God is not done with involved church, but plans to continue using each one of us to reach the people that God has placed in our lives? Um, You know, I, I have a question written here. It says, who knows? Maybe God brought you to the place you are today and relationships with the people in your life today for such a time as this. Uh, And I sometimes like to practice in front of my wife. And she said, no, don't ask a question. <laughs> she said, you need to say, God brought you to the place you are today and in the relationships you're in today, in your life today, for such a time as this. He did. And I agree with her. She's 100% right. Because I believe in a God that is sovereign, a God that has good purposes and a, and a plan. And you're sitting here right now today to hear this message. So I believe that God has brought you here today. And remember, we're all doing this together, reaching a city together. 
reaching out to the people in our lives together, we have each other and we remind each other of the truth that God loves you, that God died for you. We pray together as a people that seek after God in, in humility. There's power in prayer. And then we move together in bold, courageous action. That's what we see happen in the story of Esther. And God is still doing it with his people today. And we do it because God is for us and God is not against us. And the power of God, which raised Jesus from the dead, lives in each one of us. So we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to go it alone. Um, so that said... There's a couple things I'd like to go through um, in response to this. What does it look like lived out? Uh, I want to encourage you to think of one friend in the church. Tell them of something that weighs heavy on you that is keeping you from moving forward for Christ in courageous, bold action and pray about it together. Um, I'm not talking about like sometime in the future. I'm talking about right now today, (laughs) okay? Uh, After the service, find a friend Hey, this is weighing heavy on my heart. Would you pray with me? If there's something that's keeping you and holding you back from stepping out in faith and living for Christ and in courageous, bold action, share it with somebody. And uh, I mean, the hall, I should walk out in the hall. There should be people praying. There should be people praying in the seat. There should be people praying back by the sound booth. We need to be a praying people. Um, We have a prayer team afterwards here. So if you can't think of a friend, that's okay. They'll be your friend. Step up afterwards and they will pray with you if something is weighing heavily on your heart. Second thing, contact one friend this week and remind them of the truth. Uh, Pray for them. You're going to have a couple minutes here. You can pray for them now and I want to encourage you to write down a time. You'll contact them and get together. Um, I would just encourage you, uh, make sure it's it's truth rooted in God's word. There's nothing like God's word. It is powerful. It is effective. Um, So as you're reminding them of truth, make sure it's rooted in in Scripture. Uh, And then the last thing, Pastor Ryan uh, uh, challenged us to read 1 Corinthians 15 last week a couple times. And it was long. For those of you that read it, you're like, it's like, what was 60 verses? Almost 60 verses. Um, Really long, um, but so good, right? So good. Uh, Read Romans 8. I read a good chunk of it this morning, but you should read the whole thing. Um, as, you, as you read Romans 8, um, remember this is written to a church, a group of Jesus followers. But I also want you to remember that they're made courageous. A group of Jesus followers are made courageous, not uh, in and of themselves, but because of what we find in Romans 8. So read through that this week. Uh, So I want to encourage you to take a few moments to read through those things or to think through those things and pray. Um, Just a reminder that we're going to have a prayer team up here. So if you need somebody to pray with, um, feel free to do so. Um, You can come up during the last song. Uh, You can also come up afterwards if you prefer. So take a few minutes. Think about a friend that you can reach out to this week and pray for.